0: i wanted to do is i wanted to start with uh, a story here around when it comes to the old testament and looking at the revelation of god being our provider can everyone say provider and uh when we have a look at certain scripture there um there's interesting uh revelation when we study a particular story uh to do with a man of god who the bible uh originally called abram and and then his name got changed to abraham and he was a man of god who was a key catalyst to building strong relationship with the lord uh we know that he's called the father of many nations abraham the man of god and uh sorry guys do you know that that's just that's there yeah ignore ignore you can we can we just close it down just so it's not a distraction is that all right even there we go okay awesome Thank you. So when it comes to Abraham, uh, there is a particular time in Genesis. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book uh, of Genesis, chapter 21. And I want us to look here at a couple of key scriptures. The first thing is that the promise of God in his life was tested. Can everyone say tested? So I'm going to read here. (laughs) Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And then when we finish chapter 21, Isaac is still pretty young. Now he is about 15 years old. So Isaac, the son of Abraham, is 15 years old. Which means Abraham, get this, is around 115. Because at the age of 100 uh, was when Isaac came into the earth. So Abraham, the father of Isaac, is 115 and Isaac is 15 years of age. God is now ready to test Abraham. To test Abraham on what? Well, God promised Abraham that he would give him a son and that his son, Isaac, would be a key to the nations and the generational blessing of God to be birthed, you know, through his lineage. And so Isaac was the first manifestation of the dream and the goals and the promise that God had given Abraham, when God said, you're going to be a father of many nations, and I'm going to give you a son. And through that uh, bloodline, you know, there's going to be a a great, mighty uh, people of God that will be raised up, which we know turns into the nation of Israel. But we first, at this very key moment, understand that it's been 15 years, and you know, Abraham is ob- obviously absolutely delighted with Isaac. He's 15. He's probably starting to, you know, uh, he's in that transition of, of going from being a boy to, to being a man. And, you know, that's a time when a father really starts to connect at a at a at a new level with, with their sons usually and 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 gets active with them and you know he's probably taking him out and showing me how to you know how to have dominion over the land and the farming techniques and all of that type of thing and so there would have been a strong bonding time with Isaac. And then <clears throat> so it says here that there was a testing time of faith the Lord wanted to test Abraham and <clears throat> he wanted to test the uh, the loyalty and the obedience that uh, that Abraham had towards the Lord by actually looking at how he was willing to sacrifice and obey the, the, the Lord's instruction on what he was to do with his relationship with his son. Pretty full on. Later in Deuteronomy 8.2, we read that God led his people into the desert for a specific purpose. To, uh, you know, later on to humble them and to help them to transition. But this was the key part where Abraham goes to test Uh, where God actually starts to test Abraham. This is the first real major test of someone in terms of their personal relationship with God. And so Abraham is ready to hear from God and probably he's eager to know what God's message is. And what is the message that God gives, gives Abraham? Does anyone know? Sacrifice your son. Take, go, and sacrifice your son. So we know that in Old Testament, one way that people are uh, actually related to the Lord was by through obedience, but also there were times when they had to make sacrifices on an altar, and they call that an offering. And so the Lord gives him an instruction to go and sacrifice his son. The dream that he had, I mean, he's 115, he's had his boy for 15 years, he's the apple of his eye, and yet the Lord actually says to him, I now want you to go and actually sacrifice your son on the offering in honor of me. Who thinks that that's pretty full on? Yeah. How, it is. It, thank you, whoever said that. It's pretty full on. It's pretty crazy. But, you know, this was how the Lord wanted to really test Abraham. Now, we know that God does not tempt us. The devil tempts us, but God will test us. Now, when he tests us, he's testing us out of love. He's testing our ability to respond to his word. He's testing our capability, our maturity. Um, he's testing our heart. He's testing, okay, if we're able to go through with something, then we're ready for the next season. We're ready for the next thing. And so in Deuteronomy 6.5, <clears throat> this was an opportunity for Abraham to demonstrate whether he loved the Lord with all his heart, his heart, his soul, and strength. And I want you to notice that God gives no explanation in here. He just says, go and sacrifice your son. You know, sometimes you and I, all of us, we're not given reasons why God would say, you know, I want you to do this, but sometimes it's a test of obedience. And so the first point here is the promise was tested. Everyone say the promise was tested. Okay, the second key here is that preparation was taken. Everyone say preparation. So watch this. When Abraham received this tough, tough, Full on, crazy test of faith. He didn't argue with God. He didn't kind of oh, oh, this is he. He just went into obedience and started to prepare the offering. Not one word of objection is recorded in the entire text. Instead, this is. I want you not to get distracted here, church. Really listen in. This is such a key revelation here that Abraham responded with just starting to to prepare the offering. I mean, think about that. That's how intimate and important his relationship with God was. So instead of, you know, trying to argue with the Lord, the Bible teaches that he practiced immediate obedience... Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. He didn't delay his obedience. He just went straight ahead. Now you may be wondering, what has this got to do with provision? Well, I think sometimes we misunderstand that God is not just a genie wish god that a lot of times the key of provision is actually the relationship that we have with the Lord and the understanding that He is our provider. And sometimes for us to go to a greater revelation or a testing time of, does our heart really believe by faith that God provides, there will be a testing of our faith and a testing of our revelation of, is God really our provider? Come on now. Church, it's important for us to understand there are moments where the Lord is wanting to test the strength of your faith and your understanding and your comprehension of is he really your provider? Come on, is he not just a God that we sing about to get goosebumps? Come on now, is not a God that we just search scripture for to get a couple of principles on how to do life better? Is he not a God that we just have as a token God because it makes us feel more secure? but is he really a God that died for us, rose again on the third day, is still alive, sent us the Holy Spirit, who we intimately want to connect with and say, you know what, God, you are my Jehovah-Jireh, you are my provider. That even if I'm right in the middle of the storm, even though that will rattle me a little bit, because my faith is in you, God, I can trust that there's going to be some provision for the outcome to get through the storm. Remember, Jesus said, not if, not maybe, but when you go through the storms to call out by faith. We know that time in the disciples, that that was a test. Jesus actually wanted to see where was the level of faith the disciples had? How were they going to respond? Were they going to freak out? Were they going to start blaming each other, having a go at Jesus? Or were they going to actually take dominion of the storm, speak to the circumstance, because their faith was in God, and activate the teaching that Jesus already given them? Who knows that all of them failed that test? So the good news is, When we hear about that God tests us, it's okay to realize that when we hear again that God tests us, it may bring back to your memory that sometimes you've failed tests. That's okay. Don't condemn yourself. The good thing is if you fail a test, God will set up another one for you. Hopefully, if you fail a test, you'll be more hungry to prepare for the next test to pass because a test is a key breaking point that God helps us to transition from one place in our life to the next. And provision, can I say this to you? Provision... And being able to access an understanding of how God provides, it all starts with your revelation and my revelation of who is God to you. God is your provider. God is the beginning and the end of your life. God is the author and finisher of your life. God will provide for you in situations. God will help you to break through. But who knows that it's not all going to fall into a perfect place. Place when we expect you that a lot of times it comes. Who knows that a lot of times God is not early. <laughs> He's not late, but sometimes we wish Him to hurry up and be quicker to get the provision happening. Right, so it's a big thing, and I'm speaking from personal revelation here about that you 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 must get a revelation that God is your provider, that He is a provider, that He wants to provide for you. And part of that strengthening of that revelation and your identity being blessed because you know that He is your provider is that you'll have moments in your season and and your life when that revelation will be tested. God's interested. Think about this. God is interested about how much you really believe that He's your provider. He's interested and that's why He'll test us. He was interested Just like Abraham, how much does this guy really believe that I'm his provider? How much does this guy really think that I'm the first in his life? And so he created this test. I mean, what stronger test than to ask someone to lay down the very apple of their eye, the son that he'd been dreaming and talking to God about for years, 15, about to go into his prime, and yet... Not only is the promise tested, but the preparation, as soon as the instruction is that you need to lay down your son to honor me, said the Lord of instruction to Abraham, he went and obeyed. He prepared. Preparation was taken. So he got the donkey. Abraham obeyed immediately. And he also made preparations to obey. He got up early. He saddled his donkey. He took two servants. He got Isaac ready. He cut the wood for the offering. As someone has said, prior preparation prevents poor performance. By being prepared, Abraham couldn't get to the uh, mountain and say, Oh, I don't have any wood, God. I guess I can't make the sacrifice, God. Oops. As sometimes I know in my own life I've conveniently not prepared, so I have an excuse Why well, don't I have to follow through? Has anyone done that before? Oh, oops. Forgot to bring it. Oh, well, we'll have to delay. In a similar way, we need to be prepared for worship. That may mean going to bed early on a Saturday. Can I say yes to Generation Y? There's a reason why you don't really feel great in worship if you only went to bed half an hour ago. I'm not really getting anything out of worship. Um. Uh, That may mean setting your clothes out the night before so you can save time in the morning. So you don't rock up at 10.20. Ooh! Someone say amen to that. Ooh! And I have a two-year-old as well. I get it. That may mean that you get up early and read your Bible and pray so that your heart is ready to receive what God has for you. You may also want to arrive in the auditorium early and close your eyes for a few minutes. (laughs) Just write that down as a bit of a joke. (laughs) Preparation to... really connect with the lord can i say this to you we're talking about the promise of provision provision in your life will start to flow more regularly when you first put priority on the revelation that god is your provider and if he is your provider then you want to do what You want to hang out with him. You want to honor him. You want to give him glory. You want to spend time with him. You want to talk to him about your life and about what you need and what you're hoping for and what you're believing for. It's actually such a simple principle, but yet we're so busy that sometimes we can miss it. And that's this. The depth of the revelation The depth of the revelation, the depth of the revelation that God is your provider, that God provides. Now, the next thing that Abraham did was then its persistence. So when the promise to Abraham was tested, he immediately made some preparations to obey. And what we see next in verses 4 to 6 is that he was also persistent. So on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. Get this, the journey to Moriah, which is where the actual burnt offering was to take place, covered about 50 miles and took three days to get there. Can you imagine what would have been going through Abraham's mind? Three days it took to get there. He had, what's 24 times three? 72 hours to think about what was going to happen when he got to his destination. That he was going to have to tie up his son. He was going to have to put him in position. He was going to have to pick up the knife and slay his son to honor the Lord. So not only did he have a promise that was tested, not only did he have to prepare for it, but he had to persist right through to actually positioning himself mentally and physically and in his heart emotionally to carry through with the very thing that God was asking him to do, to test how much did he really believe that God was his provider. See, sometimes God's going to want to test your revelation of if he's a provider, and it's going to be a key for, for God to release provision to you. This is the irony of it. Sometimes it's the testing that's the key for the release of provision. But also it's an unlocking of an ongoing consistent provision. I can, I can tell you there's many uh, people that I know that when they started to actually press into the revelation that God was their provider, that that was the, unthing, the the key thing. And then they started to relate to God more. They started to, when they were tested in their revelation and they obeyed the Lord and doing certain things. And I'm going to go there today. I'm talking about, you know, the law, the, the, the Bible says, test me in this, in Malachi. It says to test the law when you start to get into revelation of the importance of giving. There are so many people who still have a blockage in their life because they've never really sat down and seriously wanted to maybe even discover the depth of truth of how important it is to understand that God is your provider. But a part to living that out is having your faith in that revelation being tested. And a part of that is being tested regularly by actually creating a lifestyle of giving. And so... Is no one getting anything from this today? So there was persistence. See, when the Lord says, test me in this, see, he was actually creating. Can I tell you that you and I and even Jesus uh, coming and being our Savior, a lot of it relied on actually Abraham's response. I mean, if Abraham had responded properly, God probably would have raised up someone else to respond properly so that, that You know, because the example here is really what God did with his own son, Jesus. Can I tell you that Jesus has laid down his life for you and God actually will create moments to build within you the capability to make sacrifices, to obey. Who knows that it's hard, your flesh doesn't like when you you have to respond when the Lord asks you to give. Come on, let's, let's talk about this for a second. If the Bible says that money is the God of the world, does it make sense that God would directly use money as one of the key testing things to see if you're willing to lay that down and your flesh doesn't like it to see how much you really truly believe that God's your provider? When you look at this revelation, it's a very simple transaction that God uses as a, uses as a way to really sort out where are you really at See, a lot of times we think that tithe and offerings is just about resourcing the church. Well, that's part of it because God actually died for the church. He wants the church to, to be resourced and to be able to, to grow. But I think it actually first starts with that God uses giving tithes offerings but even giving of our time giving of our giftings not just to our local church but just being generous you know to people around us he uses moments where he's looking for us not only to have the promise the things that are precious to us to lay down some time here or to lay down some finances here or to sow this thing here test us and he's looking for are we actually going to walk that out by preparing to do that or do we make a little lame excuse like oh no i didn't no i didn't really get that happening and not only do we make a preparation to actually you know, allow our faith to be tested, but do we actually persist to the point where we get to a place where we're actually going to do it? And so this is this great thing where the persistence is, is tested. And then the next thing is the profession. Everyone say profession. Is tested. In verses 7 to 8, as Abraham and Isaac walked up the mountain together, picture this. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, But, um, hello, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is it? Now, how those words or that question from Isaac must have sliced the heart of Abraham. Think about it. Come on. People of God, this is a true story. This is a story of the birth of the father of nations. Abraham became the man that established the covenant of God. And this is a first primary test of really where is his heart at in relation to how he relates to the Lord and is God really his provider. And it was a key test that he passed that led to a strong relationship and a faith in Abraham to be something that you and I reap from today. And. <clears throat> This is Abraham then answered after Isaac's question, where's the lamb? God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Notice that God himself will provide the sacrifice. That's what his words were. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. The sacrifice will come from him. The word provide in this particular part of scripture is the word gyre and has a very rich meaning. It is translated as to see, and as provision. God sees beforehand what it is that he will provide. Abraham knew that God would somehow see to it that everything would work out. He would be able to worship because God would provide the offering for the sacrifice. And yet right up to that point where he's still actually getting in position, he's still tying up his boy. He starts to type his boy after this. He's starting to profess that God will provide. The next bit is the presentation trust. Verses 9 to 10. Abraham testified that God would provide and he trusted God enough to continue to obey by presenting his son for sacrifice. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Who he has children. Okay, Thank goodness. <laughs> that we don't have to do anything crazy like this, that Jesus has died for us. But can I tell you, see, a lot of people say that, ah, oh, you know, tithe and offering, that's the Old Testament. It's the Old Testament. Can I say that, uh, can I say this? Even though Jesus has bought the price and we're not under law and legalism, that's why in this church, you'll never ha- hear us say, you must tithe. You'll never hear us say that because that is legalistic and that's not right. But Jesus himself was very interested in people having a lifestyle of giving. He watched. He talked a lot about money. And the the fact that even though Jesus has died for us, He's still, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, work together to create moments where you and I will be tested in our real revelation of is God our provider. And part of that is creating a lifestyle of giving. Because he knows that if we start to pass that test, then we break through into newer things and greater things. So the presentation was trusted, as in God actually wanted, even though he declared God will provide, he's saying God will... I mean, think about it. I mean, where's Daniel? Can you come up here very quickly? Imagine, it would be funny if Daniel was my son, because obviously he wouldn't have got my height from my DNA, if he was, okay, but let's say Daniel's 15, let's say I'm 115, all right, so I'm Abraham, okay, and Daniel is Isaac, all right, now as Daniel, or being Isaac, has asked me, so dad, where is, where's the lamb, and I'm like, well, God will provide, he's actually starting to tie Isaac up, God will provide the offering, God will provide, he alone will provide, and what do you think Isaac's thinking, what's going on, dad, what is serious, I mean, think about it, it was full on. Okay, let's give Daniel a round of applause. So the presentation of actually presenting, the presenting the offering, actually getting it ready to present it and ready to, to slay it to the Lord. That this is how much the testing, that God was so interested in the detail of the testing of the heart of Abraham of does you really believe that I'm going to provide. Then the provision transacted in verses 11, 14 With the knife hovering in the air. Everyone say hovering. An angel of the Lord calls out, Abraham, Abraham. Once again, Abraham responds as a servant, here I am. And then Abraham breathes a huge sigh of relief as he hears these words. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. No. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. underline that now I know the angel of the Lord declares now I know he is a messenger of God from heaven now I know now I know now I know do you know that the Lord is interested in knowing where you're really at come on now now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you really love the Lord and he truly is first in your life. Now I know. Because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Because you have not withheld from me Such a precious thing in your heart. Let me change that to make it relevant to today. Because you have not withheld from me the God that the world worships. Because you're willing to sacrifice the symbol that the world adores. Now I know. I want to encourage you church, I believe right now in this moment, the Holy Spirit is encouraging all of us to go to a new real revelation of the importance of talking to God about Not only him being a provider, but what he asks us to do, to respond at times, to express that revelation is real. What does the Bible say? Psalm 22, 26, the poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. Psalm 146, 7, he gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. God is our provider. Proverbs 10.3, The Lord will not allow a righteous person to starve, but He intentionally ignores the desires of a wicked person. Psalm 107.9, For He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Proverbs 13.25, The righteous eat to their heart's content, but the stomach of the wicked goes hungry. The Bible also teaches us and encourages us, do not be anxious. Matthew 6, 31 to 32, don't worry and say, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? The people who, and this is my interpretation, the people who don't know God keep trying to get these things. And your Father in heaven knows that you need them. God supplies in Luke 12:31 seek the kingdom above of God above all else and he will give you everything you need Philippians 4:19 and my God will fully supply your every need according to his glorious riches in the Messiah Jesus Psalm 34.10, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Psalm 84.11-12, for the Lord God is a sun and shield, the Lord gives grace and glory, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. Matthew 7.11, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Luke 12.24, look at the birds, they don't plant or harvest, they don't have storerooms or barns, but God feeds them and you're worth much more than birds. I mean, there's so many scriptures. Let me give you a couple of others. 1 Peter 4.11, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may, praise, may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him the glory and the power for forever and ever. Amen. 2 Corinthians 9, eight. and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. The Bible also teaches there is nothing wrong praying for Provision. Why? Because God is our provider. And how do we activate our faith? Through prayer. Matthew twenty-one, twenty-two: give us this day our daily bread. Matthew 7, 7, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. Mark eleven, twenty-four: therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. That doesn't give us, who knows, that doesn't give us an excuse for God to be our genie. Come on now. John fourteen fourteen. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. God examines our, our motives for everything. In James 4, 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly so you can spend it on your passions. Someone say, ouch. Someone say, ooh. Someone say, ah. <laughs> Come on. You know what I love about the Holy Spirit, the true Holy Spirit? is that when you get conviction, you should be able to laugh at the same time. Condemnation will only come when there's a religious spirit trying to suffocate you. Allow joy and conviction to work together in your life. That's why I'm saying, say, ooh, say, ah, say, oh. As in, ooh, my heart just got pierced a little bit there. But you know what? It's good for me. Luke 12, 15, then he said to them, beware and be on guard against every form of greed... For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Trust the Lord; He will provide. 2 Corinthians 5:7. Indeed, our lives are guided by faith, not by sight. Psalm 115, 11, 12. All you who fear the Lord, trust the Lord; He is your helper and your shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the people of Israel and bless the priests the descendants of Aaron. Psalm 31:14. But I trusted in thee, O Lord, I said, you are my God. Ephesians 3:20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. 2 Thessalonians 3:10. Last one, for even when we were with you, this We commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Everyone say this, God is my provider. And so there's a promise of provision. I believe that God wants us to have an abundance mentality. What do I mean by that? Am I an advocate of the prosperity gospel? Um, I believe that God wants to prosper us. Do I believe it's healthy? to flavor the gospel all to do with the one topic of prosperity and that's the primary motivation of why we seek the Lord? No. But does God, because he's our provider and father and loves us and paid the price so he could buy us back from the grave of darkness, does he want us to be abundantly provided for? Yes. The way you and I define abundantly, though, is what we need to double-check with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So just because your neighbor has the biggest plasma screen TV doesn't mean that they're more blessed or abundantly provided to than you. I believe that God wants to establish a strong mentality, a mindset that he is our provider and therefore we're abundantly blessed. In our friendships, in our career, in our marriage, in our finances, in our ministry, our time with our family. Not only does God have the ability to meet all of our needs, but I believe that He is able to provide an overflow that enables us to be given, to, to be able to, to, to give to others and make us givers to others, to extend beyond ourselves and further His kingdom. A life of lack is a result of a limited mindset of who God is and how He views life. God is our provider. He gives us promises for provision. It all starts with what we believe. And what we really, really believe. And that's why God, because he loves you, will test you to see what you really believe. Because when you fail the test, hopefully it will create a little bit of a level of uncomfortableness to shake you a little bit, to give you a hunger and a desire to pursue greater revelation, to get that into your heart, because that will be the catalyst to breaking through into being able to receive the fruit of the revelation that God is your provider. See, if you don't believe that God really is your provider, if you don't really trust the Lord, then your experience in in provision will become limited. Because as a man thinks, so he is. You won't go to the Lord with the requests. You won't really seek the Lord for the answers Because you won't relate to him as a father, but God is your father. He is your heavenly father and he wants to provide for you. Ephesians three fourteen to nineteen, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love. And keep you strong and you may have the power to understand as all God's people should how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Everyone say yeah. Okay. Now I want to shift a little bit here. To some current stats these are a strange statistics a lot of times I give American statistics just because I find them easier to find but I've got a strange statistics here for you on finances are you ready they're quite disturbing are you ready for disturbing <laughs> all right Australians spend 2.2 billion dollars a year on pets that's okay if you love pets but that's probably not the most disturbing Sorry if you've got a pet and you're offended because I label that as disturbing. It's okay that you've got a pet. Some of these others will be disturbing. On average, people every week sixty dollars goes unaccounted for. So we just randomly lose sixty dollars through not really managing our finances. Can everyone go, uh huh, yeah, probably. On average, and this is including the Australian population, so this is get this, this is including all the children who knows that probably most children in Australia wouldn't drink alcohol. Okay, so this is including, this average per person is including the population of Australia, not the adult population, the population of Australia. So what that means is the actual statistic would be higher than this. But on average, every Australian spends $700 a year on alcohol. So it would be high, 700 Some of you might be like, gee, that's not much. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Praise Jesus. One billion is spent on newspapers. Okay. That'll start to decline, I'm sure, over time. Sorry, newspapers. Average smoker spends $5,000 a year on cigarettes. Average cost of a wedding is $49,000. Yep. Yet many newlyweds complain about the inability of young couples to get into the housing market. Can I just say boom, boom, shake the room right there? (laughs) I won't name them, but we had uh, friends of ours that don't live in Brisbane and they took out a loan to have a fabulous wedding. Beautiful wedding. Glorious wedding. And then for the first 18 months struggled to pay that off. Who knows that people put too much focus on the wedding and are not enough on the future plans of the marriage. It's our mindset, what we put our value on and how we don't have a good, sometimes a healthy relationship with our finances. Um, on average, Australians have $3,500 credit card debt. Some of you are like, gee, that's not much. I spent more like, more on that than my TV, maybe you're thinking. But that's the average. Uh, the average per capita okay, spent on gambling, who wants to know this one? $1,123. The percentage of the Australian population, this is from the Australian government department of families, that it's experiencing financial stress, 21% of all Australians are experiencing financial stress. Household disposable income in Australia, that was spent on gambling. So the percentage of household disposable income, so after you pay your bills and you pay your mortgage, the stuff that's left over, what you do with it, 2.93% of the disposable income was spent on gambling. Money issues, say the stats, are a major factor in 90% of divorces. So, who knows, unfortunately, some of those statistics are realities in Christians' lives. The good news is that when we align ourselves to, to the Word of God, come on now, to our provider, And getting that revelation and then getting into his word, he gives us instruction. He gives us principles. He gives us a pathway. He will shine a light on our path and will help us to walk straight and to walk into blessing and to turn those things around. How we deal with money is affected by our parents sometimes, the culture that we've been brought up in, our experiences, our mindsets. But how we see our finances and how we manage our finances is important and God cares about it. Let's go back to the beginning again, see God's original. Genesis 1, and 28. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Adam and Eve were blessed with total provision, blessing and abundance. There was no sense of poverty. There was no lack. There was no shame and blame. There were people of dominion. And then we know what happened. Sin came in. They were tempted. Now that temptation was to doubt, was God really telling them the truth? Come on now. Watch this. There was something in the garden that God said, sacrifice interacting with that. Lay it down. And if they'd continued to allow the test of their faith that God really was the true God, he was the truth author, he was speaking truth, he's the one that I can trust, he's my provider. And that God was saying, just don't touch that. Just lay that down. Just sacrifice that. Just separate that one thing. All of these other vineyards, all of these other trees, all of this other fruit, all of this other land is yours. Now go forth and take dominion because I'm your provider and I will bless you abundantly. But just don't touch and go near one tree. Just a percentage of everything that I've given you Sacrifice it, lay it down. It was a test. The same test that Abraham was given. Come on now. The answer to them failing that test was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ laying down his life was the exact resemblance. I mean, if I had a whole week, I could go through all the details of Scripture actually teaches that where Abraham was going to actually sacrifice Isaac, a lot of scholars teach that that is the point of Calvary where Jesus was sacrificed on the cross. There is so much resemblance between what Abraham did and didn't have to carry through because he went to the utmost place of testing, but then God provided because he wanted to birth within Abraham the revelation that God was his provider. But before that a test where there was a failure, and that was Eve and obviously Adam not helping Eve to make the right choices. So they both sinned in their responsibility there. Because they failed in that primary first test of is God really the truth author? Should we really listen to doubt and try and put our faith in something else? Something that we, we we we're told we just can't have this one thing, but I want to grasp onto it. Not being willing to make a sacrifice was the test of if Adam and Eve really saw God as their provider. But because they found that, then the answer was Jesus Christ laying down his life and being obedient to the Father and saying, God, not my will but yours. Is there anyone getting some revelation here this morning? This is why, church, you and I, we have to be okay talking about money in the house of God. Let's have a look at this also. A couple of other key points of Revelation. And then I want to move on. In Exodus 5, 6 to 9. So we've just looked at that example of, of Genesis. But in Exodus 5, 6 to 9. The Bible teaches that that same day Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelites foremen. Verse 7. Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out, Let's, let us go, let us go, and offer sacrifices to, to, to their God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. And this comes at an extremely low point in Israel's history, because slavery and bondage... Is in the mindset and the heart of people, and after so many years in Egypt, they had adopted much of the local culture, culture and tended to think more like Egyptians than like people of God. They still thought like slaves. Everyone says slave mentality. they had to respond to god 's call to escape from slavery and insufficiency into abundance and prosperity. This meant being led through the wilderness by Moses, a time where they had just enough. So when they actually had the bravery to shift out of the slavery mentality, of being not having enough, being actually just bound and being a slave, no dominion, no victory, no sense of momentum, no sense of being able to govern their own lives, the first step was to shift from that place into a place of just enough that transition period where Moses had to lead them out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt, but into a season of just enough, a transition season, where every day God had to provide for them on a daily basis. We know that it was called manna. The Bible teaches that manna had to fall from heaven to provide food for the people to eat. But we know that manna, actually, by the end of the day, the manna that had been provided by God actually started to rot. So they couldn't store it. They couldn't be strategic with it. They couldn't get dominion over that provision from heaven. It was a transition season where they had to purely rely more in survival mode of just enough. Every single day, they had to wait on the Lord, trust the Lord to provide on a daily, daily, daily basis. But who knows that God wanted to transition them from that place into a new place from slavery into just enough, but there was another transition that the Lord, the God of gods, the greatest Father that ever has been, the provider, He didn't want His people just to be in a place, in a territory in their mind and for their families, just to be in a place of just enough. Come on, this is the same God that you and I worship and declare our love for today. If He wanted to help these people to transition, does he not also through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and all of his great teachings of abundance, and again, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about prosperity gospel. Remember, abundance is not just about how many plasma screen tips Abundance is about the fruitfulness of your life and understanding that your marriage, your family, your life should not be on the tender hooks of just barely enough because we know that just barely enough over a long period of time becomes a vampire that will suck the life and joy out of the atmosphere of your home. Come on now. If you're there, I understand, but I want to challenge you and say that God is your provider and it starts with your revelation that God wants you to transition into other things. Does that mean that we're all called to be the richest people on planet Earth? No. So where the prosperity gospel goes too far and goes too weird, gets people now worshipping the fruitfulness of God rather than God himself. We're not all called to be super rich, but are we are called to be people of dominion and abundance where we're strategic and we use our gifts to be able to, and at times setbacks, yes, but I'm telling you that God wants all to transition everyone out of just enough. And this next one, where the wilderness was representing having just enough, the promised land represents having more than enough. Let me, let me make this teaching as clear as possible. More than enough doesn't mean the richest person in the world. More than enough doesn't mean that we're all called to be an entrepreneur and we're going to have a multi-million dollar business. More than enough doesn't mean that we're going to be just swimming in cash. More than enough doesn't mean we have the grandest jewels in life. More than enough doesn't mean we've always got the most money or we're all talking about how many cars we've got or being materialistic and being greedy and ugly and just as sinful as anyone else that gets like that. That's not more than enough. Come on now. Why am I going there? Because whenever we talk about money, there's always at least one person in the room, and I feel sorry for that person because they get locked in this silly mindset that they completely just don't want to hear anything about finances in the kingdom of God because they think that that's all about. The prosperity gospel, and they themselves have decided that I'm not like that, I'm not greedy, I'm not into materialism, so they completely block off any type of teaching to do with getting dominion in their finances. That is the definition of foolishness. Come on, church. You know, our culture here is balance. So not only do we want to not swing this way, but can I tell you, one of the ugliest mindsets is a poverty mindset. I had someone in our church when we first planted, I talked about uh, finances, and I rarely talk about, most people who've been here for more than two years, you know, I rarely preach on finances. Can everyone say amen to that? So if this is your first time at our church, I don't usually talk about money. So welcome. (laughs) I had one person who came, I heard, known for years, and I knew that they'd been under certain types of styles of churches and types of training, types of teaching. And they came up to me and they said, you know what? But Pastor Brad, Jesus was poor. And I said, so where, where in Scripture does it say that, that Jesus was poor? I know in Scripture it doesn't say that he was filthy rich, but where does it say that he was poor? No, 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 no. It clearly describes that he was a carpenter. It clearly describes that he actually had a business. He had a spirit of excellence. He was an example of someone who took dominion. Can I just say this to you? He was was someone who also was able to build a system that created provision. Did people not bless him and give him things? Well, we know that they did because when he was born, he was given these amazing gifts. Who thinks that the gifts that God was given by the three wise men which were like very, very wealthy gifts. Do you think that Mary and Joseph spent that in the first six months? Come on now. Who's awake here today? Do you think Mary and Joseph spent those three extremely wealthy gifts in the first six months? Do you think they, they maybe kind of used that to help them? Okay, who thinks that Jesus therefore got raised in a family that had at least some understanding of Portions of wealth because they were gifts given to them. Who knows that Jesus, one of his names, is the King of Kings? So he's the King of Kingdoms. Who, King of Kings and Kings of Kingdoms. Who knows that David and Solomon were some of the two wealthiest people in the world and who knows that Jesus Christ came from their lineage? Come on now. Am I trying to convince you that Jesus Christ was a multi billionaire and he had sparkly cufflings? No. Mr. Prosperity Gospel. No, because we know that he was anti-people trying to sell stuff in the temple. You Pharisees, you wrong-motivated people. But did he go around begging? No. He was a man who trusted in his God, who was a provider, and he understood that part of that provision was not just always relying daily, but actually God giving him wisdom to create a system, to create a business, to be able to store up different resources, to be able to fund certain things. But did he stop people from giving into his ministry? No, because he knew that that was a key to releasing their revelation and faith that God was a provider for them. My favorite word is balance. That right there is an example of sometimes we have mindsets that go that way. And sometimes we have mindsets that go that way. And you know you're in a season of having an off mindset when you usually gravitate to certain types of scriptures or just certain types of teaching in the Word. And you're not really interested or energized by other things because it's not in 100% alignment to that very strong pendulum bent. That's when things get unhealthy. So today's teaching is about bringing a balance. Can I get everyone to say amen to that? Okay, so... Transitioning from slavery to just enough to more than enough. The promise of provision. I was just mentoring a great young man this morning before the church service who's in a season right now where he wants to transition into more than enough. I know that this man is mature. I know that this young guy isn't about, you know having dollar signs in his eyes, going, cha-ching, ching Jesus is going to make me a billionaire. Woo-hoo. But if you're called to be a billionaire, that's okay. <laughs> but this guy, he's got balance. And he sat there and he, we had an honest conversation about how to transition from just enough in this season into now shifting from just a job and wanting to shift into a career. Do you know that the Holy Spirit, can I tell you boldly, the Holy Spirit was really into that conversation? Do we all fall down under the the glory of the Lord? No. (laughs) Do we have full-on goosebumps? No. But was the Holy Spirit there? Yes. Because our Father in Heaven is our provider, and He's interested, people being mentored, on the truth of seeing people establish generational blessing, a mindset that will see a generational build in their life. Okay. A couple of principles about finances. One, understand that God is the owner and you are the manager. Everyone say, I'm the manager. I'm not the owner. Number two, tithe to God through your local church. Number three, spend less than you earn. Number four. Have prosperity with a purpose. Live life with a kingdom perspective. Get the why factor behind why you want more than enough, not just enough. Number five, generosity is the gateway to prosperity. Again, prosperity isn't about being weird, about more than enough. Number six, finances are a reflector of the heart, Hopefully, we caught that one today. Number seven: Don't over spiritualize financial decisions. What do I mean with that? What do I mean by that? Um, I'm talking about don't get too weird and go to a seminar, and you know you hear about something to do with you know how you can improve your finances, and then you know the Holy Spirit says take all the money in your, or you think the Holy Spirit says, take all the money in your bank and go and buy that program, even though you probably for the next six months won't have any money to eat. The Holy Spirit, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me that this was my step of faith. Can I say to you that sometimes you'll be tested? But can I say to you, right? I know that the Abraham thing is fully crazy, but I'm saying to you in New Testament life, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do something because it's the test of your faith, that's great. Faith, but with wisdom. Okay? For example, if you feel like the Lord is, uh, you know, asking you to make a bit of a sacrifice and give an offering to your local church or a worthy cause, okay, um, just make sure that that amount is isn't so ridiculous to the point where you're going to bankrupt yourself. That's not the Lord. Now, why am I saying that? Because I have seen some Christians being foolish. Can I hear? That's good. Don't be foolish. Good. Make wise, long-term investments. Number... Nine, cultivate a multitude of counselors. Ask different people about your finances. Go and seek professional advice. Number ten, see finance as a seed. In two Corinthians nine ten, it says, "Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply, model by the seed you have sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness." Number eleven, second last one, remembering that God is your source and your provider. And number twelve, giving is a part of our spiritual maturity awesome now i just want to finish with this last thought i'm going to ask jason to come and also i'm going to ask for the stewards now what we're going to do is we're going to transition into um, an opportunity to activate your faith and again for most of you that have been with us for a couple of years you know that our church we don't really do a lot um, of giving programs Um, And when we have done them, it's been in our style. It's been quite subtle and laid back. And that's cool because that's who we are. Um, Today, we are going to be doing our first fruits offering. And I'm just going to, um, as this gets handed out, I'm going to explain a little bit about why we're doing this. And we're going to encourage you to participate, but we're going to understand the why factor behind what we're doing and, and why it's important. So these flies here are going to be handed out to you now with a pen. I ask everyone just to take a fly so that you can look at this. I'm going to spend a couple of minutes just explaining this. Before I go there, though, I wanted to just finish off with a couple of points. And the points are this. <clears throat> I was really prayerful about this next couple of points. So I would like you to really listen in, and that is this. God's house needs resourcing. Church is God's house. It shouldn't be run down. It shouldn't be under-resourced. It shouldn't be neglected, ineffective. It shouldn't be out of date or held back by financial lack or overwhelming debt. It should reflect His glory and be a strength in our society. I never have and I never will advocate the house of God going to extremes or being overly ostentatious. What do I mean by that? Being foolish with extravagance where we spend the provision of God in the house with things that are just foolish and over the top and and too much. Again, it's about balance. We are and we always have been as a church very frugal with our budgeting. But this is a season, church, where the Holy Spirit is saying, and when I, I I mentioned this in our very first message in January, which was called Launch, that God was calling us to launch out into the deep. I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to us the church, it's a season now to enlarge our thinking regarding giving to the house of God. We need the faith to resource the church so it can be something we are proud of financially strong able to help those in need and able to function at its peak without being held back by a shortage of funds and what helps us resource this vision partly is your giving let's quickly turn to an eternal perspective now that our mission is to transform lives forever forever part of the reason why we felt to call this originally Forever Church and now Forever House. One of the great challenges of many churches today is people's attitudes towards finances and giving. How we view our finances as a foundation of our belief affecting many other areas. Being a giver is one of the most important spiritual disciplines in the life of a maturing Christian. And I say that with boldness And I say that without any hesitation because I believe it to be true. We have no problem parting from our money for a consumable product that has a limited lifespan. Yet it's so easy to forget that giving to God is actually contributing to people's eternal lives. We all go to the shops and spend money, sometimes hundreds of dollars. Yet talking about giving to God often produces negative reactions. It's easy to get locked into a worldly viewpoint, an unbiblical financial perspective. Giving to God is giving into something that will make an eternal difference. Why? Because it helps facilitate God's plan on earth, transforming lives forever. Can I get everyone to say amen to that? Okay.